0: Welcome, back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here, in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today's episode is a
1: deep dive on Architects of the West Kingdom, a Shem Phillips and SJ McDonald game from Garfield Hill Games released in 2018. This episode should be kind of a return to form for people who have been missing our deep dive episodes. They said the deep dives were dead. What does Devin ever die? I'm excited to just kind of dive deep on a game to to really explore the decision space of, I would say, a, a celebrated Euro, Euro game from the past five or so years. That... I think it's known mostly as sort of an entryway game that people are really drawn to for a unique feel and mix of mechanisms while still having the sort of bread and butter worker placement game going on that makes for such an easy way to jump in and explore a game. So I'm pumped, Jake. More more Garfield Games. It's been a long time. The last time game we covered of theirs was Raiders of the North Sea. Maybe another... really good jumping in point actually to yeah. the style of I game.
0: think there's a lot of corollaries between the two but I have a really important question Brendan you're saying Garfill. Hill are you pretty confident it's not Hill? oh my gosh I don't know
1: I think it's Garphill
0: oh, <laughs> all right no. I'm just saying I don't
1: know let us know uh if we're if, what, what the pronunciation com- is we'll if commit you
0: we're, let's commit Garfill.
1: that's what I think it is okay okay Jake told me before the show started also that we had a new review. I have not read the review, except for the title, which is Game Design Masterclass. So I'm going to read that to you now because Jake and I always love when we see reviews of Decision Space go on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else on the internet. And as a way of showing our appreciation, we like to read those reviews on air. So thank you to Winger Design for leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And without further ado... Here's the review. Again, Side Unseen by me. Decision Space is in a league of their own. Most board game podcasts cover the overall feel of a game, and if few dive into specific elements and game mechanisms. Jake and Brendan take it even further and analyze the game design and its impact on the players, their decisions, interactions, agency within its game systems, and the overall user journey. Their thoughtful breakdowns and reviews are a great source for learning about game design and the nuances of the decision spaces it creates for the players. Thank you so much, Winger Design. I really appreciate that. I think this is sort of an unforeseen consequence that Jake and I have sort of created with the format of the show is that tons of people who are interested in design like Jake and I are drawn to these episodes because these episodes kind of like allow us to peel back the, the, I don't know, our brain flaps, our cranial flaps. So people can just get right in there and see the experience of, of ours playing the game, what we think about in a way that maybe you don't always get when you're just playing through a game yourself or sitting at the table. Uh, So I'm really glad that it it's drawn that part of the audience and not just fans of the game in general.
0: Yeah. Peel back the old brain flaps. Very normal, That's and what you're cool here for. metaphor <laughs> by, My my co host Brendan Hansen. Uh, yes, I, I would say that is a 10 out of 10 review. You're, oh, yeah. I'm Good not job crying. reviewing the review. I'm not crying. You're crying listening to that. Um, it's sweat. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for that great review. If you want to help us out, the best way you can do that is leave a review of the show on iTunes or Podcast Addict or wherever you're listening to this show right now. Brendan, without further ado, why don't we get into our ratings and reviews of Architects of the West Kingdom. I'm
1: Jake in it today. I did not prepare something, so I was speaking off the cuff. And I'm just going to use this to reflect on my journey with Architects before I give my score. So that's the... Jake, you know, this game came to Board Game Arena. I was really excited to try it because of its reputation and because I liked Raiders of the North Sea. The first couple of plays of it, it did not pop for me at all. I was sort of like, I don't get it. I'm not understanding the appeal at all. But you and I stuck with it. We started with a multiplayer game. Uh, It was four players and kind of just didn't click and the more we played two player games the more I started to see the appeal that this is a game about pacing it's a game about timing and it's a game about understanding the flow of the game so you can end your pursuit of resources and converting those resources just ahead of your opponents and it's also about action sequencing so the more I played it the more I've really come to enjoy it I think this is a comfort game it's not one where the decisions seem tremendously interesting or the design itself really pops and feels novel. But at the end of the day, it's fun and it offers consistently variable and dynamic decisions that kind of challenge you to chart a different path every time you play based on a few different factors that we'll get into in the review. Playing this game has also made me realize maybe that the Garfield games in general are sort of like the Call of Duty of board games in a way. They all kind of have a similar feel, a similar broad audience appeal that maybe scratch an itch it's hard to get elsewhere. Uh they're fun, they're kind of raucous, maybe they're not the deepest, but they're really enjoyable. So at the end of the day, this isn't one of my favorite games, but I find myself liking Architects of the West Kingdom quite a bit. And for me this one's an 8 out of 10.
0: Wow. The Call of Duty of board games. That's interesting. Let's definitely talk more about that later. Um, before that, <laughs> <laughs> my review. Uh, yeah, I would say the things I don't like about this game is it feels not that exciting to me on any given turn. There's e- The turns are like micro turns in Architects of the West Kingdom to like the nth degree. You're yeah. You're only ever doing one tiny thing. There's no ability to ever really do more than one tiny little incremental step and even when you are completing a a architect you're building a, a well or whatever it doesn't really feel that great it just feels kind of like the inevitable culmination of the path you were following but like other Garfield games I played I think that the design does a lot of really smart things that makes it merit a spot in a lot of people's collections like it plays amazingly surprisingly well at two we learn and I think it also plays really well and quickly at five it's a great gateway game for the worker placement mechanism in a really pure form and you know it, it might not be the game that is, is ever going to rise to the top of my list if I have my ideal pictured game night with super enthusiastic board gamers but it's a game that I definitely in get the enjoyment that I come to board games for every time I play them. And it's a game I can play in a lot of different settings with a lot of different people. And for that reason, I came to the same conclusion as you. It's an 8 out of 10 game. Yeah, so, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. We'll talk about all that a little bit more. On the other side, but Brendan, let's let's talk a little bit more about the game background.
1: Yeah. So, as we mentioned, this is 2018 from Garfield Games. So, this is a company run by Shem Phillips, uh, and it's designed by Shem and Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, who's done uh, other games with Shem Phillips, like the whole West Kingdom trilogy, and also all of the South Tigris games, which have followed uh, this series up. So we architects falls in this west kingdom trilogy so it started with architects of the west kingdom was followed in 2019 by paladins of the west kingdom which itself was followed in 2020 kind of like an annualized series like call of duty in 2020 by viscounts of the west kingdom you can actually play jake did you know this you can play all of these games in a campaign that links the progress between them with this add-on called the tome saga
0: I did not know that. That's, so I think that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. It's,
1: it's advertised as working for like two to four or five players, but I've heard works better with maybe two or three. So I, I just thought that was a novel that's thing. Neat. Yeah, that they're I all haven't really heard about that. Yeah. Jake, you have experience with all three of these games. Yeah, right?
0: I played all three of them. And also worth mentioning, this is the second trilogy, the first yes. being the North Sea trilogy. We covered Raiders of the North Sea previously on this podcast. So the interesting thing about these games is it feels like Shem Phillips as a designer is going to a heavier and heavier place as it proceeds through the series. Architects is by far the lightest game, which makes a lot of sense, right? If you'd want your entry point into the series to be light, I think Paladin's second most into the medium-heavy space, and then Viscount feels like medium-heavy plus. Mm Mm-hmm. I find that I enjoy Architects the most out of them all. I've only played Paladins twice and Discounts once, so perhaps with more play more of that depth would emerge as the payoff for the additional rules complexity. But for my money, I think Architects gives me the most bang for my buck in terms of what I'm investing into the game to what I'm getting out of it.
1: And then mechanically, the games share some of the same footprint, but not totally. But visually, the games share the same language completely. Yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the nice things about Garfield games is they all share the same iconography. From what I can tell, Like I haven't played all the Norsey, and I haven't played the new South Tigris game, but the provisions in architects and yeah, the the resources, you'll see similar like provisions tokens so that you can always kind of like recognize it. And it does make the game easier to learn as you've kind of like started to learn this like shared iconography language. And then I, I would say the mechanisms are definitely different, but it feels to me like Shem is treading on like well-worn ground and doing it in a very stylish way you know like there is a lot of stone age in architects of the west kingdom right you you essentially have just a board here with worker placement spots on your turn you send a worker to a spot and do the associated action and i mean raiders of the north sea feels very similarly uh and then i think they that both games, why they're such a good corollary, is like they have an interesting and kind of like novel twist on that formula. But it's going to be, if you've played a worker placement game before, this one is going to be incredibly easy to pick up.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, I'm really excited to dive into the deep dive, Jake. Do you think we should?
0: Let's do it. And before we do, we'll play Brendan's previously recorded rules overview just to give you a little idea, a better idea of how this game plays, and we'll meet you back on the other side.
1: Architects of the West Kingdom is a medium weight worker placement game for 2-5 to five players. Each player begins the game with 20 workers, and each turn players select a worker placement location, there's more than 10 in Architects, and places one of their workers into it, and resolves its action. Outside of a few special locations, there is not worker placement location blocking in Architects of the West Kingdom. Most locations allow players to gain resources, wood, stone, gold, money, and each of these locations typically rewards players for having previous workers in that location. For example, Working the Forest nets players one wood plus one additional wood for each worker they already had in that location. Players use these collected resources to take a build action to build buildings, a key way to score victory points in the game, or advance on the Cathedral, which nets them a smaller number of points and a random reward of resources and maybe virtue, and more on what virtue means later. Build actions also function as a shared game timer, and only a set number of build actions are available to players each game, meaning there's an incentive to take these actions, but doing so also speeds up the game. Another key mechanism of architects is worker capture. To simplify, this mechanic allows players to place a worker into the town center and capture all the other players' workers from a location on the board, moving them to their own player board. Later players may convert these captured workers into coins, and players must take a special action in the guardhouse to get their workers back. Players can also capture their own workers, directly returning them to their available worker pool. Some actions in the game also gain or lose players virtue. Having lots of virtue at the end of the game can net players some extra points, Whereas having too little virtue from taking actions in the black market or pilfering the tax stand will lead to players not being able to contribute towards working on the cathedral and cost them points at the end of the game. Players have to balance taking these strong effects in the black market and pilfering the tax stand without costing themselves too much by losing virtue. Finally, in addition to building cards, a key signpost and strategic enabler in the game, players also have apprentice cards, which lightly modify the personal effect of taking actions at different locations. For example, if a player has the stone cutter, for the remainder of the game, they gain one additional stone when they t- take the stone working action. They also provide players with skill tags, carpentry, tiling, and masonry, that act as keys to unlock a player's ability to construct buildings that share those tags. For example, if I have, say, the carpentry tag i might be able to build a shack and if i didn't have the carpentry tag i wouldn't be able to use the build action to build that building after the final build action is taken each player including the player that took the final build action takes an additional turn and they could take a build action at that point if they'd like at which point the player with the most points summing up victory points from buildings leftover gold or marble virtue progress on the cathedral leftover money and negative points for unpaid debts and remaining workers in prison is crowned the victor
0: Thank you, Brendan, for that rules overview. We greatly appreciate it. And I know that a lot of people listening do enjoy it to give them a better impression of this game. Awesome. Let's get into it. So
1: (laughs) let's talk about the type of decision space, right? So this is a dynamic decision space, Mm. more or less, but it feels really static because you're always only doing one thing and you have almost all the worker placement spaces available to you. The what you get back from those actions is shifting based on the number of workers that you have in those locations. And sometimes in the black market where blocking can occur, you might have a space available or you might not. You might have spaces that you won't use at certain times. You don't have any benefit from getting your workers out of prison. If you don't have any workers captured, you wouldn't take a build action if you can't build. But for the most part, I would say it is dynamic based on the cards that you have in hand, the buildings that you could have, the spaces that are available and what you're getting from those spaces. But because everything starts as being available, to me, the game feels more like a static decision space than a lot of games that we cover on the show.
0: Yeah, right. I It's really interesting because I mentioned Stone Age previously, and I feel like a lot of other worker placements feel, worker placement games feel more of this waning decision space mm-hmm. because as you play out onto the board, action spaces get taken and therefore no, not available to you. And there there's the exception with the black market and I guess the cathedral space kind of, but not really. But in general, it doesn't really matter if other people are there at all. Yeah. So the spaces aren't declining at all, aren't waning in the same way. And yeah, I do think that creates a much more static space. Like I feel like the the general feel of it is static, though you do have a supply of workers that is running out, but you just get so many of
1: them. That they, take forever
0: to, they take forever to run out. And only uh, once or twice over the course of the game, do you need to strategically recall some back to your supply? Yeah, And you and it's kind of on you. It's not like that happens automatically when you run out.
1: Right. No, definitely. And the other thing that maybe feels somewhat waning in nature is the build action, right? The build action is the clock for the game, more or less. Uh, and there's only a set number of those actions that can be taken across all players in the game. So you feel a little bit of pressure there as you would in a waning game. But I don't even think that so much feels waning in nature compared to true waning games where the decision space is shrinking and shrinking.
0: I don't think it even like including the fact that the game will eventually end makes sense as a criteria um, factor yeah. because all, all games game are going to end. So if that is, then I don't think any game could be truly static. Yep. I, I guess I can. So there is some elements of it, but I think the, the feel of this game is sort of like managing the flow of the board state like what you're trying to when to recall when you have enough of a certain resource and and so i mean i think the that feel that i get playing this game which is a little bit hard to characterize i'm realizing as i'm stumbling to say this i think a lot of that is defined by the fact that the decision space is mostly static yeah yep when you say dynamic what is like what feels waxing to you?
1: So I think it's technically dynamic because as certain locations build up, what you're getting there has the potential to give more and more, right? When I go to the forest, I get right. one plus one for everyone that's there. So it's not static in that every time that I go to the forest, I always get one. And my potential to get things from the forest is gonna increase until someone captures those workers and places them on their own board and maybe later sends them to prison. So for me, that's what makes the decision space a little bit more dynamic. I think also what impacts it is You know, when you start, so much of what rules your decisions in this game is you're planning around what buildings you're going to build. The cathedral, in a lot of ways, acts as an accelerator to speed up or slow down the game. By building on the cathedral, you're eating up a build action and you're getting a few points, but you're kind of just speeding the game up. But building buildings is really how you're going to score the majority of your points. So, you start with not that many buildings in hand. Maybe you'll get a bunch more. That gives you more options, more paths to pursue through the decision space. And As you build them, it's going to shrink down. But you could get more in the late game. And that, to me, is what makes it feel dynamic. Any given play of this game feels somewhat different.
0: Okay. I think I figured out what I was trying to say earlier about why this, like managing the flow of this game feels mm-hmm. like the quintessential architect's game experience. What I think you have is a very static decision space on a very dynamic board. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. If that makes
0: sense, right? Yeah, totally. But I think like the actual decisions on your turn more or less are always all kind of the same, Yeah. Um, but the impact of those decisions necessarily changes over the course of the game as spaces get built up and as your worker supply dwindles.
1: I think interestingly, that's partially what might make it a little bit of a good entryway game. There's a lot to learn actually right off the bat. Like if I was teaching this to someone who hadn't played a board game before, I think there's a chance someone would feel overwhelmed, but there aren't a lot of elements that there's not elements that necessarily get added midway through the game. Like in Lost Ruins of Arnak, you have new spaces being added to the board that change things. And as long as you could get over that initial teach, the game stays pretty much the same. So you can really make sure everyone's with you, which might take longer than you'd like, but once you're there, you're there.
0: Yeah, I actually played this game with my wife and a friend of ours who are not as much board game enthusiasts as, as you or I or probably most of the people listening to this podcast. And I did find the teach... It's it's the kind of teach that is gonna make like a non gamers eyes glaze over. Yeah. Right. Because yep, you're 100%. like you have they, you, they have to like sit with you through like twelve different action things that all do something slightly differently. But the actual like mechanisms like what you do on your turn could not be any simpler. Yep. So once you get into the game, it truly is a game that anyone can play. And I think it could even be the type of game like it stinks because you obviously want to teach all the rules at the beginning because all those options are going to be available to people uh, right from the jump but it even feels like the kind of game that if like you had to you know you're playing with a group that was like let's just play and we'll figure it out you like almost could do it yeah. you know or you could do it to a point where it's not going to be that horrible of a deal and people just kind of like learn the spaces as people start taking them
1: Totally. You could learn and play this game very easily. I think in terms of clarity, for me, I'm not even going to talk about the clarity, actually, but then I'm going to back (laughs) into it as we get to it. This is a game that's a race in which players have control of where the finish line is, and you're trying to time your collection of resources such that you pull yourself to the finish line right at the right time based on the amount of resources that you have right so it's like being in a race with everyone and just when you sneak a little bit ahead you pull you pull the finish line out in front of everyone i think that's more or less what this game is and for clarity you know the most important things in terms of your decision space from what i can tell having played this game maybe 12 or 15 times is your decision space your path through the game are dictated by the buildings that you draw and can build, the resources on them, and the symbols that they cost to build. Those symbols are really important. They function as keys and you need apprentices. The symbols on the buildings are locks and apprentices all have those same matching symbols function as keys. So your buildings and your apprentices together inform your whole strategic path. And I think the game starts off fuzzy Because you don't, until you draw some new buildings, until you decide which apprentices to commit to, there's lots of different directions you could go. But once you commit to those things, all of a sudden the decision space comes into pretty clear focus. There's a few points of variability. If you build on the cathedral, you could get a random influx of resources. Maybe you're counting on getting a black market space that someone else blocks you from so you don't get it. But for the most part, once you've built up, your path through the game, once you've drawn those building cards, once you've collected your apprentices committed to those paths, the decisions space steps into focus and you're more so executing. It's a game about finding a path and then pursuing it. It's not a game about tactically switching halfway through. And maybe once in a while, oh, I play the tavern, I get a, a new apprentice and I try to pivot. But I'm excited to talk about Apprentices more because I think those make this game feel less like an engine building game than maybe it looks like it would be at the start. There's no explosion here. It's yeah. a
0: resource collection game, not an engine building game. That's a, that's a good point about the Apprentices where I think they can be a, almost like a trap. You're like in a lot of <laughs> games, right? You think you're like building an engine. So you get a couple that help you like produce more wood or whatever. And then you're like, I'll just go heavy on that. And that, that doesn't actually like get you anything. right? Yeah. Yep. Besides, like, a bunch of wood. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's, like, hard to use or whatever. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the clarity is an interesting one for this game. Definitely, to your point, by the time you can see the end of the game uh, coming, you can kind of get to a place pretty easily of, I think, like, 100% clarity. Like, I need to take, like, these four actions in this order of prior, like if I have four actions, this is what I'm going to do. If the game ends before that, you know, I I like prioritize the things I need to do before the end of the game. So at that point, you're just executing on pre-laid plans, which generally is just going to be like constructing with previously accrued resources. Yeah. But before that, I think the decision space can be really, really fuzzy. Yeah. And I think a lot of like the skill separation... I actually think this is a game that has a pretty high skill ceiling. In comparison to Raiders of the North Sea, I think the skill ceiling in Architects is much higher. Um, and I actually think it's a more interactive game, even though you can't block people, because the timing of the end game is so predicated upon what other people are doing. And I actually think, in many cases, the most efficient way to play this game is to just collect a bunch of resources because once you start collecting resources, right, you're incentivized to keep doing that until you have all you need because you don't want to, like, have those workers removed from the space. And then I think, so I think the best way to play this game you could hope for would be, like, to perfectly accrue the resources for, like, the six building cards you're going to build and then spend six turns in a row building them. Okay, wait, timeout. Yeah,
1: Remember how we said Azul has the same decision space as Castles of Burgundy? Yeah. Architects of the West Kingdom has the same decision space as Ticket to Ride.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty pretty apt comparison honestly Boom. yeah i, I like you, that
1: the way you play tickets to ride is you draw all of the routes that you would ever need you draw all of the cards you would need and then the, the late game is you just put them down in architects you want to collect all the resources all the potential buildings and then you want to put them down and you want to make the best most efficient use of both of them there's reasons why you can't do that yeah within the game in both games and yeah. that's what makes it interesting. But that's the game. That's yeah. the decisions. I place.
0: think you're right. And I think the reason it becomes so fuzzy early on is because there is a way to like interrupt people's plan through like the capture workers action. But if somebody's sitting there with four people on the quarry to collect rocks, it's really difficult to know from where you're sitting if they're desperate to get another worker down there so that they'll get have five more rocks which is a really efficient use of the action assuming they'll be able to spend it all Uh, or if that's actually like all the rocks that they are needing right now so it's difficult to like figure out when the right time to just take a turn to block somebody else's really efficient space is and also you have to be like keeping an eye on the cathedral track at all times to see like when a market reset is coming up so that you can make sure that you're not like taking negative points from having workers in the prison or, or, or a variety of different things. So, like for a game that is so uninteractive of worker placement and like the traditional blocking people's spaces, it's I think it's incredibly interactive from sort of a oh, like one step back of trying to know what you should be doing on any given turn is yeah. very much predicated by what your opponents are doing what they want to be doing and what the current board setup is
1: and i think that's where a lot of this high the why you're saying this is a higher agency game than raiders of the north sea and i agree and it's partially because knowing when to capture when to capture other players when to maybe capture yourself is really important actually and knowing when it is opportune to to make one of those captures and to have it be maybe you can really set another player back, especially I think the, the brick slash gold space. If a player doesn't have a reliable way to get gold in other ways, gold's a really important resource in the game. A capture early there might seem inefficient, but could actually set a player back quite a bit if you know that that's the only resource they need and they have to pursue. And there's there's little instances like that where you, you sort of have to just make the assumption that someone is in need of someone and stop them before... They have the opportunity of taking a really prime action jake this game ranges that like average length of a game is around 30 turns or so it seems like and you could have like a 25 turn play or like a 35 turn play and i think it's really interesting because the efficiency of any given action a lot of times varies one based on how many workers are there but also varies based on how long the game is buying an apprentice gets better if in a longer game than a shorter game, because you get a return on your investment on those apprentices in a longer game versus in a shorter game, the four coins it costs to buy an apprentice and a full action, it can be hard to have that be worth complete while unless you really need the symbol. And I think there's, like you said, there's some, the math of this game is sort of interesting because of the variable end. If this game didn't have a variable end, I would think it's instantaneously a much less interesting game.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And with the apprentices too, it's interesting that they're sort of tied in the same action spot with the blueprints for getting more building types. A lot of times yeah. I feel like the only reason to get an extra apprentice besides one you start with is because then on your next time you go there, you'll be able to get the two contracts because I think that space gives you one contract plus an extra contract for every two workers you have there so that can be a pretty efficient kind of combo combination of moves of getting the apprentice uh, and then also getting the two contracts with the next move not to like get too much into the strategy or tactics but i find myself like if less and less using the apprentices as keys like i think that For me, I found it perhaps a more efficient route through the game of just building the buildings that I can based on my early apprentice, which would be the one you start with. And you probably often want to get a second one just very early on in the game so you can get Mm -hmm. the max benefit of it. Getting Apprentice in the mid or late game does nothing good for you. It's a waste, yeah. So if you are in a spot where like I have to get a third Apprentice to build a contract, I think you need to think really hard about if that's actually an efficient use of time and resources when you always have the option, or almost always, will have the option of just using that contract to move up the cathedral track by discarding it instead of building it.
1: Yeah, I like actually, you know, one of the great things about Raiders is it has the multi-use cards. And this game has just the tiniest hint of that by letting you discard the building cards to build on the cathedral. Uh, Which is, it's fun because it lets you use them and it allows you to make interesting decisions around which buildings you're going to build or try to build and which you're going to throw towards the cathedral. But Jake, I I think that I just want to hammer home the importance that the signposting of the apprentices is funky. Because when yeah. I first I think that's so much why I felt, oh, this game isn't popping for me, because to me, these apprentices signal like they're your superpowers, like you're going to get these and you're going to build a whole strategy around the new abilities that you have. And really, that it's it's just like slightly that, but they're not superpowers.
0: I don't think the game signposts them that much as much as that's just like our learned behavior from playing, playing so many other board games sure. with like engine building in it. Where it feels like by and large, if you can get something that gives you some passive benefit over the course of the game, that's like always worth doing. And apprentices in Architects of the West Kingdom are almost a counterpoint to that. Yeah. Where it can be good, but you have to have like a really specific reason for why you're doing it rather than just like, you know, just taking an apprentice because you're going to get an extra rock every time you go to the quarry. It's probably not worth your four coins unless you know that you really need four extra rocks over the course of the game or something. Right.
1: Yep. It's interesting. So that workshop space that lets you get apprentices or buildings is kind of like the broaden your decision space button that you can push, right? It's going to give you more options. And then almost everything else you do because of the opportunity cost is kind of like the narrowing your decision space buttons. Because when you take a build action, you're committing. When you take resources, you're committing. Down a path, right, more or less, almost always, and I think that it's fun that the game is structured such that those are both the same area because they function sort of similarly for the similar similarly for the needs of the player. And I think it's touches like that that take a game that might feel kind of just like a oh someone said like I want to make a good worker placement game and elevate it. And for me, this really is that it shows the polish of someone who really knows what they're doing in the worker placement design space.
0: Yeah. I don't know why I keep coming back to this term, but I think that these Garfield games are just like a very stylish implementation of it. And I think mm-hmm. like the stylish element of Raiders is the the place a worker, pick up worker. And here it is the combination of that sort of increasing value of the yeah. spaces in combination with the capture. Capture. Yeah. I think that works really well here, but Again, to be critical of it, it, I think it does, that dynamic does create some kind of weird play patterns at, at times. Where if I'm like, I played one to the rocks, and then I need, I'm gonna play a second one to the rocks, and then I'm gonna play a third one to the rocks. And now when it gets back to my turn, by far the best, most efficient action is to like play do the rocks again. again. And then when it comes back, depending on the cards in my hand, maybe I do it a fifth time yeah and that means like you've just spent five times around the table just taking the same action which can feel a little like weird and unexciting maybe you're excited because i'm oh look at all these resources i'm getting so efficiently but it just creates kind of like a weird thing where like all of a sudden because of like the micro turn elements of it you're just decision space is diminished to I'm just going to keep hammering this action until somebody says I can't anymore. Yeah, And maybe a better action would be the, the a better example would be with the gold and bricks because the gold actually just gives you straight up victory points every time. Like you could get to a situation where it's like I'm going to keep doing this time to get four points every turn until somebody yep. captures my workers from the space. Right.
1: Which is good at getting players to interact but not interesting from a decision space perspective necessarily.
0: Right. Exactly. It, yeah. It, it, it's like, it's a game of chicken. That means like you have to continue playing it until the other person blinks. And once you, you start say going software. down one of those paths, which could happen most multiple times in a game, it's kind of like, it's, it's just a, it's just kind of like a, a funky quirk. I, and because the game is pretty light and hopefully you're playing with a group that's going really quickly. It might not be that big of a deal, but if you're playing with a group, you know, if, if you were playing with five people and, you know, it could, that could be like 15 or 20 minutes of your life spent just like only taking the quarry action yeah, <laughs> over and over. Totally. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent. I think also, Jake, it's, you don't have a lot of, some games give you a lot of control over the strategy that you pursue, right? The decision space is really open and you have flexibility, at least until the game develops, to pursue a given strategy. In Architects, that's not really the case. You're very much at the whims of the apprentice that you start with so that you can try to get value out of it and the buildings that you draw. Uh, That's really going to inform your path through the game, and that's great because it means that almost every play feels a little different, though it doesn't feel that different because it's such a static decision space, but it, it also means that from game to game, you can kind of feel strangled by the options you've been given rather than always being able to sort of pick a path and commit to it, which is kind of just a give and take thing, I guess, that games have to have to go with. And it, it's if it fits your taste, I think that I wanted the buildings my first few plays, I was sort of hoping that I would find if I could build up a big hand of buildings, maybe I could see an interesting path between them, right? So, like, if I build this building, this gives me two marble, and then I'll use those two marble to do this, and then that building will let me do that. And all of a sudden, I could have this, you know, the tax on the wall with strings, and I'd have my building cards up there, and I'd have this whole interesting chart pathing everything together. And that would link really well with the fact that this game's all about building, building up, and then playing everything down. But the more I played, the more I realized. In practice, you get a little bit of that, but it's not not quite turned up to the level that I had kind of hoped. And I like the game, but I almost wish there was a little bit more of that.
0: Yeah, I think the problem with signposting in this game is less so that you should be building apprentices when often you shouldn't. I think <laughs> the problem is that it seems like a game that will be strategic yeah. and tactical, but in reality, it's a game that's almost purely just tactical. Mm. And the reason you would think it's strategic is because, oh, I'm starting with a unique apprentice power. Oh, I'm starting with three buildings uh, that I can start like working towards. But yeah, the I think the payoff of those m- most of the buildings in this game, the payoff is just points. Yeah. In one way or another, right? It'll be like you get six points for building this, and if you have, you know, the most rocks what? at the end of the game yeah. then you'll get another two points or or whatever like this gives you 11 points but you have to take three debt or whatever you know like it's just some type of points and you can use that to manipulate to make sure you get the best point payoff for those cards but there's not really like this this time i'm going big rock or this game i'm gonna try and like go uh black market strategy those those can be in there right like the game I'm playing right now asynchronously was a game where I started out like taking the quarry action for the first six turns in the game so and now I'm trying to like utilize that efficiency advantage to get the most points I can I've had other plays this game that did lead me to taking the black market action a lot and that could be really efficiently just based on the first two apprentices I got and some cards I had in my hand to build that kind of synergize with that well but you certainly can't be picking something to try out this time before you get that initial draft of cards so yeah. we should say you are drafting them so you do have some influence on and on the tactics you might want to pursue which gives but, you
1: interesting decisions yeah, yeah which
0: gives you interesting decisions but yeah there's no there's no like i don't think there's very much long term strategy beyond
1: take the best action available to you on your turn
0: take the best action available as and that is going to be predicated by your goals of either building the blueprints in your hand or moving up the cathedral track, which is also a viable winning condition to getting to yep. the top of that and just maybe build like one or two other cards. You're probably in pretty good shape.
1: Right. Because usually if you're doing that, you're snapping up build actions cheaper mm-hmm. than other players could because building the cathedral is a little bit less expensive than the average building in a game. It varies. It varies. But you're also usually getting a kickback back. So usually, if you focus on the cathedral, you're playing a rush strategy, and if you focus just on buildings, you're playing a slower strategy.
0: Yeah, and I, in my place, I wouldn't say that I have a, a good sense on one being stronger than the other, or you know, it feels to me like going cathedral or skipping the cathedral entirely, building only buildings, or doing a hybrid can all be perfectly viable it feels like those those are all well balanced
1: and maybe you'll start doing the cathedral early uh to kind of build up some resources and and see what makes the most sense or maybe you'll focus on buildings first and then to try to end the game then you go into okay i'm gonna hammer the build action and just build the cathedral as quick as i can because i i know i'm not going to be able to build any more buildings but at least i can get you know chip away a few build actions from other players and limit what they can do We've said, Jake, that apprentices don't inform your strategy a ton. They do because you have to make use of what you have, but maybe you don't want to pursue new ones. But do you have any that come to mind to you uh, as ones that you like to get to start? And I'll start so you can think about it. Uh, I found that the squires, the cards that every time the black market reset, you just get something are pretty good. Like there's a squire that just gives you marble every time the black market resets. I found that those are really effective because I'm not forced to use any particular actions outside of making sure I use the resources that they give me. Uh, Also acquiring them early, they give you a virtue. There's similar ones that like, I think it's called the gatekeeper, where every time there's a black market reset, you like get to release workers, but it will cost a virtue. So I feel like the squire from what it, it just feels mathematically like maybe a little stronger on average than some of the others. I don't mind starting with the laborer, the one that just gives you all three symbols. Flexibility is king in games. So I like that card. Um, I also, I like the ones that make the king storehouse action a little bit stronger. So there's the, the merchant that lets you pay money, trade a money for stone or trade a money for two clay or trade a money for two wood. I think those ones are pretty fun. Uh, they make that king storehouse space that lets you convert to virtue or convert to marble even more effective. And they kind of, narrow the decision space around getting money and then converting that money, but they seem like they can be fairly effective. So those are some of the ones that have jumped out for me.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I'd answer that question by saying the ones I don't like are the ones that give you an extra resource by going to a particular resource space. Those just don't feel worth it because you have to take an action to get it, right? And then say, okay, say I take the one that gives me plus one rock every time I go to the quarry. So I spent an action to get that guy and and I go to the quarry with for four coins. I go to the quarry four times. I got four bonus rocks. Yeah. But if instead of going to pick up that apprentice for four coins, I just went to the quarry a fifth time, then I would get five rocks instead of four and save the four coins. Yep. So the, the only reason that'd be good is if people are like really being active on the capture space, which I have, which is just kind of depends on the game, but it feels like the more we play it, the more people are being more discerning about when to take yeah. people's actions. Like just going there just to like clear three workers of somebody's off the board, especially in a game that has more than two players. Yeah. It's, it feels like that hurts the person you took theirs and it hurts you. So right. you, you, it's almost like, again, another sort of game of chicken where nobody wants to be the person. Somebody's like got five, of their workers on the gold space and nobody wants to be the person to take those workers unless you like really needed uh, coins for some reason. Cause you can convert them into coins. Uh, but everybody wants somebody to capture those. You know what I mean? Like right. if I'm playing the game and somebody else captures somebody else is on the board. I'm like, that is a huge win for me. Cause that yeah. kind of slows down everyone involved in that interaction.
1: Yep. Totally. It seems like capturing three seems early. On this, it varies by space, but three seems early. Four seems fine. Five, you might as snatch them up. You can't let someone be taking actions with more than five workers there. It's just too much efficiency.
0: Except for, I mean, it depends on the time in the game. It does depend on the time. Like late yeah. in the game, if they want more, if they want six extra wood or six extra Who cares? rocks, if they might yeah. not even have the opportunity to build two more things. Yep. It, I mean, yeah. So again, you got to be discerning about I, I would say i'm less inclined for me five feels like the barrier interesting like four is almost like probably not because like with the like the gold space like i feel like they already got the advantage you know and they can get two more gold but i don't want them to get three more gold with one yeah person, you know yep. so five is like green light go
1: yep okay the capture mechanism you can also capture your own workers which puts them directly back into your worker pool I found, I sort of initially thought, oh, why would I do that? But the more I played, the more I realized, oh, there's just times where that's actually fairly efficient to do. Maybe you, instead of spending time going to the guardhouse after people have captured your own, you're going to end up using this as a hybrid, taking other player off players' workers off the board and taking your own workers back in a way that is interesting, makes the decisions compelling. And the game kind of forces you there. Eventually, you're going to w- run out of workers and you need a way to get them back. The only way you're going to get them back is through the guardhouse or through self capture. So it kind of, I like that through the course of the game, because of running out of the workers, it forces you to make an interesting yeah. decision and forces you to interact. And we should say,
0: too, that if you run out of workers, then your <laughs> next turn is just reclaiming one single worker, which. There Theres some discussion in our discord about this mechanism, and some some people really not liking it because if if that happens to you, you've probably just lost the game. It's that punishing, right? So 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 the argument can be made like if that's the case, like just don't let that happen. But and and the, I think the reason it came up was because it's much easier to miss that you' just placed your last worker on the board without reclaiming any. when you're playing on board game arena than when you're playing this game on the table in front of you and you can just obviously see oh if i place this then i don't have any workers left in my supply and everyone
1: at the table would say to you if you place that your next turn is just taking it back
0: right you're you're gonna get yeah so it's not like something that can really ever happen if you're you know paying attention to it and aware of it um but yeah you absolutely need to if not before with that last worker do something that's going to reclaim your workers. And there are three ways to do it. The gathering space, the capture space, capturing your own. If you have any workers that are in the jail, you can get them back for free, or you could pay five coins to like get all of your workers out of other people's roundup space. Like if they hadn't been yeah. deposited in the jail yet. So there's always going to be, and even if you, that costs five coins, but you could also just like take a debt, I think yeah, to do it. Instead. So, and lose virtue. Yeah. Yeah. So there will always be a way that you can reclaim multiple workers when you get to down your last one or two.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this game has a morality system, Jake, and the all of the marketing copy around this game, like on BoardGameGeek, when the little text, the description of the game, is kind of pushing this morality system of like you're going to have to make decisions on if you're willing to take underhanded deals to build the the West Kingdom, and I think you know. I'm not sure that this is fully borne out in the game. Functionally, this works as this this sort of you move up or down a track. Uh, you can yeah. gain virtue by building the cathedral. you can move lose virtue by moving down. the The biggest thing about losing virtue is if you lose too much, you won't be able to uh, build the cathedral anymore. When you take the build action, which can really restrict what you're able to do, especially in the late game, if you need to accelerate the game, Uh, and it will also eventually make you lose points. Taking the black market actions can be very powerful. Uh, There's spaces where maybe you'll lose, you'll pay three coins and lose a virtue, but gain a marble, a gold, a stone, and a wood, which is really efficient. And I think those are make for interesting decisions around when should I be going for these spaces. Is it worth it for my strategy? But I find the morality system overall is a little half-baked.
0: It's interesting. I don't think it it's half-baked at all from like the mechanics point of view. Like I sure. think it is really it's interesting. Functional. It's yeah. functional, right? Not only can you not build the cathedral if you get down a certain point, it also can cost you points at the end of the game if you yeah. finish low on the track. And also, there's an opportunity to, if you're kind of even below the point where you can't build the cathedral you can pay less tax, tax when you're doing actions that require taxing which includes the capture space includes buying apprentices it includes the robbing the the tax stand the tax depot or whatever the tax stand so there's some really fun tactical play that can be had between like going down intentionally. So you can get slightly more efficient actions to build things that then bring you up out of the negative points by the end of the game. And that's really cool. Definitely. It does not feel like when I'm playing this game, I don't feel like morally torn. between <laughs> No, no, anything, right? it doesn't feel and I like think that's I'm, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like there's, especially cause it doesn't really interact with like, the capturing and jailing people like it totally hand waves away like in the rule book the capture thing is like if there's a group of people they're probably up to no good so you could just like capture them it's like okay so we're arresting like innocent <laughs> is- workers foresters here or yeah. whatever. like what is- and that's totally fine that's actually virtuous to do that yeah. so yeah no i agree thematically it's a little fuzzy but mechanically i think it works really well though I do think in my plays, it feels like the line of play I outlined where you start out by going down a bit to get some advantage and then work your way back up works a lot better than trying to be super virtuous and and just like forego the robbing the tax stand, which can give you like eight or 10 coins in one fell swoop and a lot of the black market stuff. I've tried to play games where it's like I'm going to try and do the virtue path and and get to the top of that track and have that count as like some portion of my points. Yep. I haven't been able to get that to work. I'm sure it can be done and there are lines, but I do think it might be rarer that that will be the tactically best play.
1: I've also seen you try to pursue a debt strategy. Where you're trying to be the one who has the most workers in prison so you collect these debt cards or maybe you release your your prisoners by taking the debt cards and then you have other cards that care about the fact that you have debt or maybe that you're paying off that debt and that's another one where it feels like in the right game, it could work, but doesn't always. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't think that one worked out super well. For it didn't in the game we played. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's another thing where there are these strategic lines that work sometimes. And that's another thing that in a game can really raise a skill ceiling. Yeah. Where if there's a path that's not always the right path and sometimes is that that can mean the replayability of your game increases as people try to pursue mastery. So I like that those things are there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's fun. If you shaved off one of these mechanisms, the game would be way more approachable, but way less interesting as a game to return to. And I feel like for a game of this weight and that a game of this investment level, not that it's super high in learning, I want it to be a game that I can return to often and kind of iteratively play, especially with the amount of variability in it. So I think it's all working in the same direction. Like it feels like a cohesive whole in what it's trying to present from mechanically and I think that that's really impressive for a game with this number of mechanisms
0: it feels so similar to Raiders of the North Sea for me if it's this kind of like perfect game to play with people who like like board games and but don't spend a lot of time with them I don't think I would introduce either of these games to somebody who is like I don't know if games are for me I'm you know showing any kind of like hesitancy at all right it's not like a true gateway but if somebody's like
1: Oh, that cool. looks cool.
0: Yeah. Like I'm interested in like these games that you have here, I, you know, we should do a game night sometime and you know, they're like really new to it. This is like such a perfect one where I think it does have, it's showing some interesting things that games can do and it's going to impress people, but it's not so overwhelming to as intimidate or, you know, make it so people feel like I can't do this when the, yep. when the game is actually going. Totally.
1: I also, Jake, sort of as a closing thought, will say that to me, Architects of the West Kingdom is the perfect game that's an example of why games can be worker placement games without blocking, because I don't think so there's there's a, a group of people who argue that only games with blocking are worker placement games. And that's just like an ongoing argument that is sort of there and that these other games are more action selection games or something. And I think that Architects of the West Kingdom is just the perfect example. You can... There's no, this is a worker placement game. There's no way around that. There's a little bit of blocking in the game, but most of the spaces you can't block. And I can't divorce that in my mind from the fact that this is a worker placement game. You can't block each other. There's other mechanisms that bring texture to the worker placement puzzle that in some games blocking do, does, right? There's the additive element and the capture element. Those are the wrinkles here, not blocking. And they're different sides of the same worker placement coin. And I think there's room for other people to make new worker placement games that don't use blocking, don't use this additive collection or this capture mechanism, but come up with some other mechanism that's interesting and puts a twist on the worker placement.
0: Obviously, people have a lot of fun debating categorization. I think that's something we try and like... Keep our toes out of. you a little clear of, because it's, you know... No fight with me. I can just be a little (laughs) pedantic. But I would say it was like worker placement is a form of action selection. You know, if somebody was like, no, this is more an action selection game than worker placement, or I don't classify that fine. You know, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't like it at all impact my ability to like play and enjoy this game. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm excited to play more, more architects of the West kingdom.
0: Yeah. It's one in my collection. Uh, and you know, I've got, I think I've already expressed over the course of this podcast, like why I think it has a place in my collection. Uh, I think it was in my top 50, actually. Nice. Where where was it, though? Do I have...
1: Well, you're doing that so we don't leave hanging questions. Number
0: 42.
1: Nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's good. Yeah. I had it higher than Raiders. I think Raiders is, to me, they're close. Like, Raiders is a little bit more exciting. Like, it has these moments of excitement where you have, like, dice the rolls dice rolling. that are meaningful. The core
1: mechanism is more exciting. It's more novel. Yeah.
0: I think that people will are actually I think it's also people are more likely to have like a better first play experience with it. But yeah, Architects is definitely the one that I'm more excited to return to after playing both about a dozen times.
1: There's definitely more going on in Architects, too. Yeah, I would say I don't want to leave hanging questions in the past. We may have said that we would explore another game in this series. Uh, I own it. You own it. We both have Paladins of the West Kingdom. Do you still have an interest in playing that game, exploring it, Jake? Where are we at with that?
0: When we talked about it before, I think we were going to try gonna and solo. cover I think we talked about like covering it as like the solo game mode. Yeah. In what do particular. you think? I think it could be interesting. I don't know that that's what people come to our podcast for. for yeah. We're not really solo gamers. I don't know. You You played Acropolis solo recently. Yeah, that's right. That, I liked it. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm a big solo guy, it turns out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's let's. Get, I would love to hear people's thoughts. Did you yeah. enjoy this episode? Do you want to hear more from Garfield? Uh, more about Garfield games on this podcast. If so, which ones? Does the solo paladins experience sound interesting to you? The reason we do it solos because uh, it's not online, so it's just difficult to for us to get enough plays to where we feel like we can sufficiently and accurately give a good deep dive impressions of it. So yeah, look, why don't why don't we let our listeners sort of decide that for us and you can weigh in uh, in our Discord, which we always link in the description of this podcast and, and highly encourage everyone to join uh and talk to us there. And I think I lost Brendan. So I'll just close out the show and say thank you as always for listening to this week's episode of Decision Space. We want to thank Hembry for our intro and outro music. Reach out, and I hope you all have a great week. Goodbye.